I'm going to speak from 1 Peter, if you're following in the Bible Project, that's, that's where we've been at this week, in, in Peter's first letter, um, and from the first chapter. So let me, just, let me just read it out, let me put the Word of God, first and foremost, put it out there, they're the most important words. Um, so it starts like this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. And keep going just through to verse 9. Um, so praise be to God, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by the fire, might result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So Lord, as we spend time in your word this morning, um, we recognise it just as that. We recognise this as your word, as, as stuff that you're speaking, truths that you want to impart into our lives, um, even knowing that where we would be at this morning arriving in this place and knowing what would, what would be spoken out, Lord God, your, your word can speak new realities into our life. And as we, as we come to it, we come to it with that respect and we come to it with, that, with those eyes, with those ears, with that heart to be open, Lord. And, uh, and in all the things I've prepared, Lord God, just get past them if that's what you need to do, Lord God. This is about you, it's about your people, it's about your heart being expressed to us through what your word has said. Um, so we commit ourselves to that in Jesus' name. Amen. So look, even in these in these verses, there's a million things. There's a million things you could pull out. And as I read it, you're just you're just you're in awe of everything that it says. Do you know there's there's a certain amount of um, familiarity that we have with scripture that lets us sometimes read words like this and uh, and lets us just like glaze over them, right? Let's just read like um. So what did it say there? He's given us new birth into a living hope that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, right? So imagine. If, if that was, if that was if, instead of there being like a big chunk of scripture, right, instead of there being 66 books in the Bible, like we just even just had those couple of lines that tells us that somehow you have new birth, that tells us that you have a hope that's, that's alive, a living, a living hope, that there was, there was someone called Jesus who was, who was raised from the dead, and because of that, you live, you live in this hope. If we were to just even take like one of those lines and like meditate them on, like, like pull the marrow out of them, actually just dwell on, like what does, what does each of those words mean? Man, I think, I think they could and should and would transform, transform our lives, but we're, we're quite just uh, familiar with stuff to the extent that it kind of just, we, we, we gloss over it, right? And we read those things like, oh, that's great, on to the next verse. Or if you're reading the chapter a day in the New Testament, maybe you're like looking at how long the chapter is in time and like how long does it take me to get to the end of this? Or then having an Old Testament one as well, and how long is it going to be to, to get through it? But, man, the Word of God is just so, like it's so rich. And um, I want us to focus in particular on verses 8 and 9 uh, this morning. 
That's where I want to go, where he says this. Um, in verse 6 he says, in all this you greatly rejoice, right? And, and then he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Right? When, I, when, I, when I read this, it stood out as being a bit weird. Like, in terms of like, like the person that he's talking in. You know? So usually, like when you have people talking about, say, joy... It's either like, like speaking in the third person, like it's speaking like Patrice had joy, do you know what I mean? Like speaking about, about somebody telling a story. Or in the first person you have Paul who's like, who's like writing the letters and he's like, I have, this, I have this joy, I've learned the secret of joy in all circumstances, right? But in this, in this one you've got Peter speaking in, like, in the second person. You have him doing what we normally expect him to do, like, which is like tell us all this stuff about Jesus, here's what Jesus did, here's, here's, here's what you can have because of him, etc., right? But then it's like he takes a step a bit further and he, it's like he starts describing what people are feeling, which, which stood out to me as just like presumptuous, like, like the language of it. Though you've not seen him, you love him, right? So there's, you know, maybe he could realistically think, right, these are people who are Christians, they love Jesus, right? And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, okay, that's still good. But then this last one, right? And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you're receiving the end result of your faith, right? So... I want you to imagine, like imagine, imagine this was a letter, because it was, right, written to a group of people. We know it was written, the first verse is said to like the people in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia. So it's written to these people who are scattered all over the place. But somehow he's able to make this claim about people saying, like you guys who are reading this letter, you're filled with an inexpressible joy. Which is that not, it seems, it seems a bit weird, doesn't it? Imagine, imagine a letter, you know, so I receive a letter in the post, the stereotypical thing it says is like, uh, hey Rob, hope you're well, right? Imagine I open the letter and said, and says, hey Rob, you're filled with an inexpressible joy, right? Like it's a bit, a bit presumptuous, yeah? Like what if the people who received the letter weren't filled with an inexpressible joy at that moment in time? Like what if right now they were like, like some of us who from day to day may have different levels of joy, may have different levels of their experience of love for God, it says it may, may even be in different levels of faith and what we believe in. Maybe we're even in times of, of doubt, Times of fear, times where we're not really sure about this stuff. So what's he at in making that kind of a, a big statement? What, what I think he's doing is, I think he's, he's holding out a signpost. I think it's meant to stop us in our tracks. It's meant, to, or it's meant to arrest us in the same way as it would if you received a letter addressed to you that said that specifically about you. Where you'd be like, wait a minute, no, I'm not. Who are you to say that? Like, what? Do you know what I mean? On what basis are you saying that about, about my life? We're meant to not just read it and then and then continue on, but it should arrest us to be like, well, if that's not a description of my life based on what, what, what else it says in this letter, right, then, then why not, you know? It should be this, this moment of reflection. And not in a condemning way, as in, like, you don't have enough joy, like, we're going to, like, guilt trip you into, you know what I mean? You need to try harder to have more joy, do you know what I mean? Or you need to try harder to love more, you need to try, like, that's not, that's not the way that, that scripture, is not the way that Jesus interacts with us, it's not the way the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Um, so I think it's meant to, I think it's meant to like hold up like, like a mirror to us and be like, guys, this is the way that it could be, yeah? This is, this is the way, this could be a description of you, yeah? It could be true, like, that I could say that, that though you haven't seen him, you, you love him. It could be true that we could say that though you don't see him now, right, you still, you believe in him. And it could be true of our lives, right, that in resu- as a result of that, that we could say that, that even though that being the case, that you rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and you're filled with glory because you're obtaining the outcome of your salvation. The salvation, the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
And so I think that's what the, the point is in this, is that we're meant to be, in, increase our expectation, right, of what Jesus can accomplish in us. Increase our expectation or our appreciation. Because any time it says anything about us, right, the way that scripture works, whatever it's saying about us is God's invitation to fulfill that thing in our lives, right? Not about drumming up more joy, not about like condemnation because you're not doing good enough or whatever. It's this, this invitation, I want it by my spirit in your life. Do this thing that I have said is true about you. It's the way nearly all of the promises of God work in Scripture. We, we, we take a hold of them by, by, by faith. And then God accomplishes that thing in our life. So look, my prayer as I was, as I was reading this for myself. And then by extension, because my, my, my role is to help you guys understand this stuff. Or, or, or bring it to you um, for the Holy Spirit to help you to understand it. Is that, um, is that our eyes would just be open, yeah? That just like our expectation to be lifted, if we're kind of going around with a low expectation of what it might even mean to be a Christian, that we'd allow, we'd allow Scripture to shape what our expectation should be. We'd allow the voice of the Lord to shape what that is. That we should, should be and could be living in a space where the interaction of love and belief and faith in this living hope results in an inexpressible joy that we get to walk in in our lives. And uh, I just want to hold that out before us and, uh, and do it by, by looking at those each of those things in verse 8 and 9, that, that kind of love, the faith, and the, the joy, just briefly each. Um, and again, not in a, a condemnation kind of way, but in a, let's, 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 um, let's actually believe this stuff. Yeah? Let's, actually, let's actually push for it. Um, so look, the first thing that it says is that, though you have not seen him, you love him. That, that, uh, that verse, verse 8, the second last verse there. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And the language of this is, is big. It's like, so it's speaking about the fact that those, those guys who he's writing to, Peter had seen Jesus physically, right? But he's writing to guys who had never actually met Jesus, but somehow they, they love him. And the language is, is important there. It's not just like, though you haven't seen him, like you obey him, or though you haven't seen him, you serve him. It like goes to, that, to the heart of it, right? He's saying that you, you love Jesus. And maybe, maybe that language makes us feel a little... Um, Maybe we're just used to it and we don't really realise what we're saying when we say that. Maybe we don't even say it. Maybe if I was to if you were to describe like what it means to be a Christian to someone, you might say, like, I obey Jesus or or I serve Jesus or I follow Jesus, or to detach it even more, like I follow the ways of Jesus or I follow the teachings of Jesus. But to say I love Jesus is a whole is a whole other thing. Like it's a whole and sometimes it can feel awkward for us to even to vocalise that. Imagine I used to um when I was first out here as a pastor, um, I used to go on walks with Steph, Steph Gilmartin. And, um, and Steph would kind of force me into evangelism because he knew everyone in Bray and would be like walking along the street with him and Steph would just be like, how are you, how are you doing? Whatever, Tom, this is Rob, my pastor. And, like, and then, of course, then I have to have a conversation about what the church is or, or whatever, right? And as an awkward like, young guy, I didn't know what to be saying. Like, it was always, it was always like, like strange, right? It was always like, a, a, like a, a, yeah, an awkward kind of moment for me. But, um, and usually here's what I would come out with when I would say something like that. So here's the way conversations usually go. Like, it's like, this is Rob, he's a pastor. Or when I'm getting my hair cut, you know what I mean? What do you do? Why help me have Mondays off while I'm a pastor? Next question is always, what's that, right? And then, and then, and then it's like, you know, well, what's the difference between that and our church? What's the difference between that and the Catholic church or whatever? And usually I'll say something like, you know, well, look, we're, we're a group of people who are like a family of people committed to one another, want to practice the ways of Jesus. We believe in Jesus and want to practice his ways, right? And people usually know what to, what to do with that. They can accept that. They can, they've understood Jesus had something to say. They had something to teach. He had something to, you know what I mean? Like a philosophy and like, okay, these guys are aligning their lives on that. 
you imagine if I was out for a walk with you and we stopped with one of your friends and you're like, they're like, this is Rob, my pastor. And you're like, oh, blah, 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 what's, what's that all about? And, uh, and instead, I was like, me and Bernard just love Jesus, right? And uh, there's, like, there's a certain level of, like, that, would, that might cause us to kind of, like, cringe or something a little bit, yeah? A certain level that might be like, oh, no, Rob, use the other words that sound a bit more, <laughs> like, that sound a bit more palatable or that, that let people know. But I think what Peter's trying to do is, like, nail our colors to the rock here. This is about, do we, do we love Jesus? To be, able to, to be able to say that out loud, like, I, I, love, I love Jesus, it's a huge thing. Like, but maybe we're afraid to say that out loud. Maybe you're not, right? Maybe that's, and that's awesome, right? But there's this kind of intimidation to say that because you'll like, be written off as, as wackos. Or, right? Because what, when you say you love Jesus, you're not just saying, I've come across a group of teachings and I think I should align my life and I think it's the best way that I should live. You're making this claim that I have a relationship with God, right? Because how can you love somebody who you don't? You don't know, right? So to say you love Jesus is a more exclusive claim. It's like drawing a line in the sand and saying, because included in that you're saying, I know, I know Jesus, right? And to say I love, it's like, it's like, like the affections in my heart are here. This isn't just an intellectual exercise, yeah? This isn't just a physical thing I do with, with, with my body. I'm saying that, that I, I love him, that, that I love God. And that's, a, that's a, bigger, a bigger claim. We're making a statement about reality when we say more than just I believe in him, more than just I serve him, more than just I'm aligned with his teachings, but that, that I love him. People are like, what do you mean? What do you mean you love him? And the point, the point I'd, like, I'd like to, to, I hope, would land in our hearts this morning is that can we, allow, can we allow scripture like this, allow this kind of standard that he sent, this standard of love, can we allow that to, to challenge us to the, the scope of what we expect, like to not settle for a smaller claim on your life? To not settle for a smaller kind of like, well, I kind of agree with going along to church and I like that place and they sing good songs and the people there are nice and, and whatever. Like, like at some point, there has to be a capturing, a capturing of our hearts to the extent that, that the response is like that we, that we love him. Don't settle for following him but not loving him. Don't settle for agreeing with what he has to say but not loving him. Don't settle for even believing he was raised from the dead but not loving him, don't settle for obeying everything he said, but not loving him. There's many people, millions of people, billions of people who believe in God, right? But don't love him. They might believe intellectually, believe spiritually that a God exists. They might believe in a creative force that holds everything together. They might believe in, you know, intelligent design. They might, they might believe that, that even if there is a God, he is love, right? And that God is the source of love, right? Like, but, but, but that's still a million miles away from being able to say that you love him. Because to say that implies personal relationship yeah it implies that you actually that you actually know him but but scripture like it never it never just holds out just believe this stuff just do this stuff like it, it always pulls it to the to the heart even jesus when he says like you need to you need to obey me but he's like if you love me oh, keep my commandments yeah if you love me you'll obey my commandments not just obey my commandments because they're good to do independently he's like they should flow out of your affection for me they should flow out of your love for me. And we've looked at that before, right? Even the greatest command, he's asked, what is it? And his response, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. He doesn't jump into the Ten Commandments, don't commit murder, don't commit adultery, honour your father and mother. Like, he's like, the greatest commandment is that you, you love me. And we've looked at how strange that is, the idea of commanding, commanding love. You know what I mean? Like, what is the command? Patrice, you have to love me. Do you know, like, like it just sounds, even the word command sounds, sounds weird to us until we realise that we don't love him because because it just comes from us. We love him because he loved us first. Because that every ounce of love that we have for him is actually a reflection of the scope, and the, the scale and the enormity of his love for us that we can experience day after day. 
And we realise when we see the scope of his love for us that the command to love him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength isn't like about him being needy or anything like that. It's about him recognising that our need is for us to have something to love with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. And it's not the Lord, it's going to be something else that builds you up and tears you down. It's not the Lord's going to be something else that's just sand, you know what I mean? Something else that just washes away when the hard times come. But if our lives are built on the love of God, and we get to respond in kind by loving Him, then our lives are built on a, on a rock. It's something that's steady, it's something that's unchangeable, it's something that's been accomplished. We look at what Jesus did, Bernard led us in communion. We realise the scope of His love for us. We sing these songs, the promises of who He is. We realise the scope of His love for us. And something happens in us that we begin to... To reflect it back. His greatest command. Love the Lord your God. All your heart, soul, mind and strength. Why? Because when you love him. Then all the rest of the commands come into, come into play. You trust in his goodness. And can I, call you, can I call you just to that boldness? Can I call you to that being a reality in your life? If it's not right now. right? To, to pursuing that truth. If you're kind of on the outskirts. If you're kind of just like. I like church. I like what I, what I hear. I like, I like what it presents. But can I call you deeper? Can I call you into into a relationship with the one who loves your soul. Like into an experiential, real thing that you will be able to say, I, I love God. I know that's a huge, that's a huge claim to make. It's huge, it's the biggest, but, but scripture doesn't, it doesn't shy away from it. Not only does it not shy away from it, it makes it the basis of everything else. It's like the foundation thing. Unless we get that, we're just, we're just messing. We're just, we're just playing at it. There's a warning given to these letters written to the church in Revelation. John has this vision. He sees all these scrolls being unfolded and their letters to different churches. And there's one to a church in Ephesus. And, uh, and it's like the voice of, of God speaking to this church. And he commends them for all this great stuff they do. Like he says, I know your deeds and your hard work and your perseverance. And I know you can't tolerate wickedness and that you've tested wicked people. And that you, you've tested those who claim to be apostles and are not. And you've found them false. And you've persevered and you've endured hardships. For my name and you've not grown weary, right? All this all this commendation of like you kept going, you kept the faith, you kept doing the right thing, right? And then he says this, yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken the love you had at first. It's like man, all of the all of the other stuff, right, is great when it flows from a heart to love, but when it comes to replace it, and we've missed we missed the point and I think what Peter is doing here by saying, Oh Lord, you love him. Not you should love him though you haven't seen him. You love him though you haven't seen him. He's reminding them, no, that's the, that's, the, that's the foundation of our faith. We love this God. This is true about me. Not just aspirationally true. This is true. Even if, it's drifted, if I've drifted off course at some point, those of us who've known God, those of us who've been born again by the power of his Holy Spirit, those of us who've experienced and tasted of him in worship, like you, you love the Lord. Yeah? It's there. It's in our hearts. It's in us. Yeah? All we're trying to, to, to do is like make us aware of what it is that's, that's there, to feed the thing that's there, to not neglect, to, to, to express that love for God, to not become just dour and religious, or to not just become following the rules or doing the right things, but to, for it always to be an overflow of like, this is, this is who I am. I'm, I'm a person who loves Jesus because I'm a person who's been so well loved by Jesus. He's rescued me. He's taken me. Remember the one who's writing this is, is Peter. And uh, we know the story of Peter. Peter messed up all the time. Yeah, Peter did like great stuff like, and, and you know, Amazing things, realizes who Jesus is, a leader amongst the apostles, all that. And then he's the same Peter who denies Jesus three times. Somebody, were you at one with Jesus? He, Jesus again crucified. He's like, no, it wasn't me. And like, the cock crows three times. You know the story, yeah? But he's the same Peter. When Jesus came to restore him, what does he do? He stands in front of him, the resurrected Jesus. Je Peter had denied Jesus three times. Three times said he doesn't know him. Three times Jesus asks him in return, do you love me, Peter? Do you, just, do you love me? 
Do you love me? Like maybe you messed up. Maybe you haven't done the right things. Maybe you've regrets looking back and wish you lived a different way. But you just call him to the heart. Do you love me? This is what it's about. And he knows that Peter loves him. So he knows that when he speaks that he's calling out what's in What's in Peter, if you're going through a struggle as a Christian, if you don't feel good enough as a Christian, if you feel whatever, just the Lord's heart will just be calling to you, not in a condemning way, but in a way to, to call out that, that, that seed of love that's inside you, just do you love me? Do you love me? Because that's enough. That's what, that's what everything flows from. It's not like, you know, Peter, you messed up, now you're going to have to do some penance. Peter, you messed up, you denied me, now you're going to have to work that off, like when you prove yourself, or whatever. It's like he knows, he knows the heart. And he just calls it out. And I believe he would, call, he would call to us as well. Just to call that to the forefront. Just, do you love me? Do you love me? And our heart's response is yes. <laughs> our heart's response when we, when, we, when we enter into worship. Our heart's response when we're in the word and it comes alive to us. is like, it's yes. I love you, Lord. And I believe that what God would want to do is to take just, to take that from being something that maybe we experience like just momentary or in like, like, like little kind of periods of time, and for that to become our inheritance, like for it just to kind of like grow and spread out over every aspect of our lives, that we get to walk in the love of God. And work, get to walk in the love of God. And raising a family, we get to walk in the love of God. In everything, everything that we do. Because that love, that's, that's the love that, that keeps you going, guys. That's the love that, that, that um, that'll pull you back in when you've messed up. That's the thing that will restore you. When you feel like that you need restoration or you feel like that you've, your heart has been, has been broken, it's a thing that will build it up again. It's a thing that will heal you when you've gone through the mill that we, that we love the Lord, right? So I want to hold it out like that Liberty Church will be a church where we like unashamedly say we love, we love Jesus because, because he's loved us. The second thing, right? You love him even though you haven't seen him. And then he says, and you believe in him. So it's like this heart thing starts in the heart, but then there's also this, this head thing. There's also this like you, be, you believe what it is that, that, that we're telling you. And we believe, when you think about it, we, we often, we say these things, and again, man, sometimes we say them, and they're just words, but we believe there was a man called Jesus who was the Son of God, right? Who lived the life we couldn't live and died the death on our behalf that we deserve to die so that we could be rescued and restored, right? We believe that this same Jesus has ascended into heaven as the first of a humanity that will be like, like, like transformed into his likeness, that he's returning, like big huge things, right? He's returning to restore this whole world. We believe that he lives in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. We believe that he enables us day after day to become more like him. They're, they're huge things and I can, we can say those things, but man, as we believe them, as we actually believe them, they, they transform our lives. Like, like any one of them. Like, take any one of those things I've just said and, and, and now hold it up in light of the stress at work. Hold it up in, in light of the tension in your family. Hold it up in light of the funk that you woke up in the morning. Like, hold it up in light of the worries that you have or the fears or the anxieties that are there. Like, they don't, they don't hold a candle, yeah? Like, the, like one thing is, is, is huge, and the other thing, though we might perceive it as huge, when we actually see something that's truly huge, it's seen, it's seen in its perspective. I think that's what he's trying to call us to again. It's like, you're the people who believe in this stuff, yeah? You're not the people just like the rest of the world who just believe in whatever is around them, whatever is told to them, whatever they can see or feel. You believe in something that exists beyond this world. And that thing has the first call on, on your life. That thing has defining rights on how you get to live. It should be our first part of call. That, that, that the first thing we're doing is looking to what it is that, that we believe. Like the first couple of, the first verses, like just, just here, right? Just even in these words. Look, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
He's not, that, that, there's a God, that he's the Father of one who's become our Lord, which is Jesus Christ, this man who lived in his great mercy, he's given us new birth. He believes that we've been, we've been born again, yeah, that we're not of this world, we're new creations, the old is gone, the new has come, that it says, yeah, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, that you're never without hope, we're not like the rest of the world that can run out of hope or have to drum it up from somewhere else. There's a, there's a sustainable, like, inextinguishable source of hope that's alive, that's held for you in, in heaven because Jesus was raised from, from the dead. You're never without hope, you're never, you're never hopeless. These were inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, that we become partakers in Jesus' inheritance because we become identified with him in his life, death, and resurrection into inheritance that lasts Forever into eternity, guys, forever. Like, this is massive, it's like too big, yeah? Like, forever into eternity. You can't lose it, it can't perish, it can't spoil, it can't fade. It's kept in heaven for you. And right now you're being shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. Like, God is keeping you by his power until this day when Jesus returns in his last time and everything is. Everything is, everything is restored. Like, no wonder why the next line is like, that uh, in all this you greatly rejoice and that you have this, this, this great hope. It's because these beliefs are so, they're so big. Sometimes, I don't know, sometimes, like, sometimes when it comes to being able to try and communicate them, I'm like, how do you, how do you, what do you, what do you say? What do you, what do you do? It's just, it's just so big. We're born again, we're saved. I don't know, maybe, maybe, Maybe our country's been like so immersed in like nominal religion for so long, right? Of just, just going through the motions, showing up at church and that, like that, in whatever way that looks. That, I don't know, we're switched off to like the sense of awe, of like, no, this stuff is nuts. Like if you, if you believe it, right, it's like, like to, to those outside, Christianity shouldn't look tame or harmless. They should be like, those, they're, they're head cases. They're, they're crazy. They believe stuff about reality that, 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 is, that is crazy, right? And like those of us who are inside, who've been born again by the Spirit of God, who has become real, who've tasted and seen who God, who God is, like to us, it's like there's no, there's no other way to live. Like, I came to a place in my life, I'm not going to share my story again, but one time I came to just, my parents both passed away in a short period of time, and it just like swept the rug out from under me, right? And I didn't know what way it was up. And uh, I was working for a church at the time, and I came to like a make or break place, where I was like, look, either, either this is all bull, or it's all true. I'm not happy to just live in the middle, kind of hedging my bets. You know what I mean? I was kind of forced into it because I was working for a church, I'd left a job, a career, it was like, well, just go back and do that career, or what would you be doing working for a church if this was like, just maybe true? Like, what are, you, what are you at? It's your life. And I encountered God when, like, the Lord used to draw me away to this space, to this, this caravan, I went away by myself, and I encountered the love of God in a way that transformed my life, like, instantaneously. I mean, like, instantaneously. I went with all this regret, all this fear, all this, this sorrow, all this deep anguish of having lost my parents kind of tragically, all this, 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 like, who even is God? And the Lord spoke to me in a way that, that showed me his love and just transformed it, right? At this point that I look back to it in my life and I can't deny that that, was, that that was God. And the reality of it, whatever it is, 10, 15 years on, still permeates my life. Hasn't fallen apart, wasn't just a rationalization, it was, it was real. God, God did something. In my life, but I, I remember just coming to that place, and I think we all need that at some at some stage, where like we just don't want to be lukewarm. Do you know what I mean? Like either this is true, right? And if it's true, it demands everything, right? If it's true, it makes no sense to be half in. Like if it's true, it's just like I'm all I'm all in, right? Or or it's not. I'm just going to do something else. 
Right? But at some point, we just need to, just need to come up. <laughs> we need to like come to that point of belief. Maybe there's multiple times we need to come to that point of belief in different ways and we realize areas of unbelief in our lives. But it's just, it comes down to this. We, we believe in one who we haven't seen. It doesn't mean who we haven't experienced. God can tell you he's touched my heart and my soul and my life and he's transformed it and transformed it by his grace. We love one who we haven't, who we haven't seen and still don't see. But we know a day comes when we do and we get the taste of him these days and worship in his word and the, the ongoing presence of knowing that he lives in our in our lives so for me like i just can't i can't live in the middle and i will call you to that guys i'll call you to just that like don't be satisfied with living in the middle yeah don't be satisfied for it like kind of flowing around having, having a bit of church life and that kind of keeps me ticking over like let's be let's be the people who are all in because scripture doesn't really give us that option do you know what i mean whatever faith we have that just keeps us in the middle it's not the christian faith right because it doesn't give you that, it doesn't give you that option. It makes, its claims are too big. The stuff it says about you are too—they're too huge. Do you know what I mean? They're too about your identity, about what's been done for you, about the purpose for your life, about the nature of eternity. Like it's too, like it's too big to just be like, you know what I mean? Hear the sermon and and go on. It, like it demands, it demands our life. And I think that's what Peter is presenting. It's like, remember, you're the people who love. Remember, you're the people who believe this stuff that I've just, I've just read it out. And I think that's how we can get to the joy bit, right? I think that's how we can get to, like, if that's true of us, right? If we're centered in the love of God, if we're expressing that love for him, and if we're meditating, dwelling on, like, being shaped by those beliefs, like the inevitable result of that is a stupid smile on your face, right? When you, when you think about how big he is, do you know what I mean? When you think about how good he is, when you think about the nature of how he loves you, how he saved you. you know, when I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he healed me, you know, the chorus like he makes me want to shout, Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. It's like that's the that's like that's what inevitably what happens in your life. And hopefully you've experienced that in a place of worship or a place when, when you were when you were down and you, you pressed into the presence of the Lord and something changes, yeah? Something is built up like something like this joy inexpressible comes. Sometimes I'm in the presence of the Lord and I just want to pull up my hood. I don't know what it is. I just feel like like I'm I'm, I'm like like not in a condemning way, in like a like immersed way. Like I end up like on my face. I end up like crying like an idiot. I end up like with a big smile on my face. I end up like sometimes like Going to sing so loud that I just like don't put out any voice because the neighbours would be freaked out, right? And I'm just like like miming in the front room, like singing songs, right? And uh, but that's that's real. It's like this joy, inexpressible, and it's meant to be our inheritance. It's meant to be what comes. It's what comes inevitably when I think on the Lord. It's what comes inevitably when I turn my heart on the Lord, right? But for some reason, I'm, I've been willing in the past, or still am willing at times, to live whole swathes of my life outside of that, you know. Maybe just not aware that God wants to permeate it all. Or maybe just not having the courage to allow him to get into different parts of my heart. Or maybe afraid if I try and do that and take it out of that box, it'll all fall apart. And it's like, show itself to not be really real or something. I don't know. But there's, 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 there's been whole parts of my life that I don't live that way. And increasingly in my life, I'm just like, why? You dope. Why? Why? Why are you going on stressing about this? Why are you reliving that conflict in your head? Why are you worrying about what you're going to have? Why are you just pursuing buying these things? Why are you looking at this thing over here and that thing over there? When, when you know that the result of you dwelling on the Lord is an inexpressible joy that fills your heart and flows out of you. Why? And I think that's the point of what Peter's calling us to. And I think oh, that's what I would, I would love to call you to. Is that, that, that you're called to enjoy God. To enjoy being a Christian. Yeah, there should be a joy from this, like as we as we dwell on them like that. We're not just the people of like 
hours sacrifice. Please was watching some documentary on nuns the other day, whipping themselves. You know what I mean? Feeling they need to like, like, like do penance. Do you know what I mean? To like, yeah. But um, but I'm glad that as we do that, that stands out like in in contrast to like that's not who our, that's not who our God is. He's not calling for you to. He's not calling to like. He hasn't called you to punish you. He hasn't called you to like to like beat you into shape. He hasn't. That's not that's not who your God is. That's not who that's not who he is. He sent his son to die on your behalf. So what do you get? Like instead of judgment, you get grace, man. Grace, undeserved favor. The Lord is the Lord's heart towards you this morning. Have some more grace. Have some more grace. You're walking away in this direction and you might like even like cause you to come to a place where you turn around to him through through situations in life. Why? Because he wants you to turn around and then smack him in the face with some grace, yeah? He wants he wants like he just wants to lavish his love on you. That's the story of scripture. There isn't a different one. If we believe in something different that causes us to just detach and put the God's stuff over here, then we're just missing out on the God's stuff in all of in all of this part of life. And, and um, yeah, just let's not be lukewarm, guys. Let's not be let's not be lukewarm. Let's not be like let's let's not have our minds shaped by the word. Let's be be in it in it together, encouraging one another, building each other up. Let's not let a day go by where we're just listening to the radio or just listening, being bombarded by whatever else is coming on. Remember, you're the people who believe in this God who you haven't seen. Let's not let a day go by where our hearts aren't expressing love to the Lord, where we're not germinating that and growing it and, and, and working with it. And this, this incredible thing happens when you do participate in this stuff, right? Where you experience some of the love of God. You go to your belief causes you to dare to think you could draw close to God. You draw close to God and you experience some of his love. That creates love in you in return, right? Which is, which is like you come to love the Lord with more of your heart, soul, mind and strength. Which again brings you like crazy joy. Which then makes you like, like, uh, like it compels you then to go back into that space again. And you just, like the loop continues. It's like this snowball that, that grows. Sometimes it starts with a, a step of faith. Sometimes the Lord will use you coming to the end of yourself to enable a step of faith. Like, but, but it's there for us. Do we know? Do we get it? That it's there for us. That's, that's what I suppose I want to say to you. Don't, don't live at this level when there's like this level. You know what I mean? Don't live at this depth when there's like this. When there's this depth. Don't, like, what God has done, everything from start to finish, to enable you to have like a love relationship with him based on, on reality, experience him. Walking with him, being filled in his Holy Spirit, being used for his purposes, filled with joy. Yeah, in the midst of, remember who Peter is writing to are people who are being beat up for being Christians, right? Not people who are able to just float around doing the stuff. Like, and he's saying to these guys, you're the ones filled with, with inexpressible joy, even in the midst of whatever goes on. Um, I believe that's what God wants for you. I believe he holds it out and I believe you can have it if you want it. Father, give us the, the courage the grace even, that's what we need, the grace to just to take a hold of it. Even when we don't know how to, when we're like, man, I'd love that. it sounds great to live that way, how do I do it? You, will you do it in us by your grace? We're open to it. We want you, Lord God. We want you. And we just say, just say, Lord God, I love you. I absolutely love you, Lord God. We love you, Jesus. Now, this would be a church, Lord, that's able to unashamedly say, we love Jesus. We know you, Jesus. And everything about you is good. And we love you, Lord God. That this would be able to be a church that says that we believe in Jesus. Everything that it says about who you are and who we are, we believe and we're willing to let our lives be shaped by that. And will we be the church, Lord God, that in result of those two things flows with a joy inexpressible, Lord God. And Lord, if you're diagnosing our hearts this morning because there isn't a joy there, 
Lord, that, would that diagnostic just point deeper, Lord God, right to the heart, and, and would you flood lives this morning with your love? I pray in the same way, Lord, that I came to encounter your love in a way that changed my life, that each and every one of us would have that kind of an experience, Lord God. You would draw us in whatever way it looks, Lord God, but that we would know, that we know, that we know that we're loved by God. I sat with a guy this week, Tom Carney, and uh, tell me about struggles he's going on through or whatever. It was like two years ago, I had an experience of the love of God, and he's like, I know that God loves me, and he breaks into tears. It's like, I know. Like, I can't deny it. I know that he loves me. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring us to this place of just being so secure in who you are, Lord, that we don't, we don't go chasing after anything else. In ever-increasing ways, would you fill more aspects of our life, Lord, with your love and with faith, Lord God, and with the joy that comes as a result of them. I bless your people with that. Cause us to grow in it, Lord God. Take what's said this morning in this space, Lord, and cause it to, to, to germinate like seeds that would produce fruit, Lord God, in our lives. I bless you, God. As I say, the Lord is going to bless you and keep you. He's going to cause his face to shine upon you. He's always gracious to you. And he'll lift up his countenance upon you. And he'll give you his peace. In Jesus' name. Amen.